0: Hello, and welcome to Sherlock, From Adler to Amberley, an attempt to analyse all 56 of the Sherlock Holmes short stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, in order. Starting with the first story, A Scandal in Bohemia, featuring the celebrated adventuress Irene Adler, and finishing with the final story of the casebook of Sherlock Holmes, The Retired Cullerman, where Holmes and Watson accept the case from Mr Josiah Amberley. Hence, from Adler to Amberley. My name is Karl Kopak and I'll be presenting this irregular series along with a special guest as we attempt to assess the value of each tale of the canon. The Adventure of the Reigate Squires by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. A recap. Sherlock Holmes is exhausted. For the past few months, he'd been running around France and other countries tracking the legendary Baron Mopertwee or Baron Mopertius as he's called uh, in the BBC Sherlock version. Um, he's finally run into ground and been more successful than the police um, uh, of five different nations. But it's had an enormous toll on his health. He sends a telegram to Watson to say that he is in a hotel in Lyon and that he would quite like him to come and visit him. When Watson gets there, which was just 24 hours later, he obviously rushes straight across to him. Um, he says that carpet carpeted his ankle deep in congratulatory letters and telegrams from well-wishers. Um, they go back to London after a few days when he's strong enough to do so. And after a bit of gentle cajoling... Um, They agree to well. Holmes basically agrees to go and stay with Watson with a friend of his called Colonel Hater. Colonel Hater is a man who um, was actually Watson's patient or one of them when he was in Afghanistan during the war. Uh, And uh, Holmes is reluctant at first to go, but when he tells him it's a a bachelor establishment, um, he's keen to go along. I like the idea that Sherlock can't be bothered with families and you know sort of niceties. He just wants to go along there and rest. Um, But he, he goes more or less just to sort of keep Watson happy. Um, when they arrive there, um, Colonel Hayter, they have a little chat and they say, oh, there's been a burglary at the the Acton estate just up the road. Um, the Actons and the Cunninghams are uh, the two big local squires in the area and there's been a legal dispute between the two of them for years now, uh, because Acton has a claim on about half of the Cunninghams' land, um, but the strange thing about the burglary is the fact that they got away with practically nothing, a ball, a ball of twine. Uh, I think he mentions Alexander Pope's uh, um, translation of um, the Iliad um, and uh, nothing much going on. And, and Watson's nervous straight away because obviously there's a crime there. Sherlock Holmes is there and he thinks, oh, God, he's going to get exhausted again just chasing this. But Holmes doesn't seem that interested, to be honest. Um, then one day um, the, the the house gets a butler, uh, so, sorry, a, a butler comes over and tells them that Inspector Forrester's come to view them from the local force, and he tells them that at the Cunninghams they too have had an incident uh, involving a potential burglar, burglar. But um, this time it's murder. The victim being a man called William Kerwin, who's the coachman who lives in the lodge with his mother down the end of the road, um, and he's been shot. Um, obviously, Watson is incredibly nervous straight away, but um, hot. Holmes just laughs at him and says, You know, the fates are against you. It looks like I'm going to have to get involved, but obviously he's still he's still not well. Um, but, you know, he's happy to do that. And, uh, he's particularly interested when Forrester tells him that there's, there's a clue. Um, in where in William um, Kerwin's hand, uh, they found a scrap of paper which had the words quarter to 12 on it, which is of immense interest to Holmes because that was when uh, he was killed. He was killed at quarter to 12. So Holmes is suddenly awake and alive and what have you. Um they go along to see uh the Cunninghams uh in their estate, and um very, very amusingly <laughs> this, this is great. Alec, there's two Cunninghams. Alec is the younger one, he's more of a sort of hot headed firebrand and his dad is more a sort of older and crusty, older and crustier. And um Alec basically just insults Sherlock straight away. So they thought you London types and you have everything, you clearly don't. Um but anyway, they talk about the burglary. Holmes is again sort of quite not really paying that much attention to him, to be honest. Um, he tells him that, you know, he saw, he saw the burglar struggling with, um, with Kerwin. Then the the shot went off and Kerwin died and the burglar ran, um, to the road over a hedge, over a ditch, in fact. Uh, and, um, his his father says pretty much the same thing because they saw the same thing because they were pretty much, their, their rooms are next to each other overlooking the garden, uh, at the top of the house, the older Cunningham was um, smoking a pipe before bedtime. Uh, and, and Alex said he watched the whole thing and, um, and that's what happened. Um, at this point, Forrester is, says, you know, there's no, they say oh, there's no clues to whoever he is because the description of the man is just, like, I think he just wears dark clothes, so, you know, they're not going to get anything from that. Um, and Forrester says, no, I, we do have a clue, actually. Uh, but just as he says that, um, Holmes um, collapses. He has a fit. Um, clearly not recovering from his uh, his time in Lyon. And... Um, uh they you know they take him outside they give him fresh air and he's a he apologizes oh this is you know this is a dreadful business sorry about that um at which point the converse the strand of the conversation is completely dropped um and they just go and home so actually can I, can I just go and see your show me around the house and kind of see your rooms just want to see what view you had of the area uh which he does and uh alec cunningham is very sort of like you know why, why do you want to do that um slightly suspiciously um Holmes then says, the only way to do this, I think, to find this man is to offer a reward. Say so maybe 50, um, I think he says 50 or 500 pounds or something, I can't remember what it is. Um, and uh, Holmes says, like, yeah, I've, I've written a little advertisement that you put in the local press, or and here it is. And, they, and the older Cunningham says, I'm really sorry to say this, but you've actually said um, he was called at quarter to one. And it's not, it's quarter to 12. And they're all mortified for him. You know, this is the great Sherlock Holmes. He's made such a such a simple error. And uh, and Cunningham, so he says. Oh, okay. Well, fair enough. I made a mistake. Can you just correct that? So he corrects it, and makes it quarter to twelve. Um, then uh, they talk about the, the 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 case once more for a bit. And then, while while they're looking away, Forrester and the two Cunninghams, in full view of Watson, Holmes knocks over a table which has got a bowl of oranges on it and a carafe of water, and then instantly blames Watson for being clumsy. Watson's quite savvy about this, though, when he plays along with it and says, Oh, you know, okay, my mistake, let's go and sort this out. Um, Everyone else says that Sherlock Holmes has left the room. He's nipped out, and they don't know why. Um, And then, while Forrester and Watson uh, are are cleaning up. The two Cunninghams too have left the room and then they hear shouts of murder and help um, coming from Sherlock's voice. It's getting slightly weaker. And they go into a room, they find out where this, this is going on and they find Alec um, Cunningham throttling Holmes on the floor and his, his father trying to basically steal something from his wrist um obviously they're restrained pretty much away, pretty, pretty much away because they've got guns and what have you um and and Holmes says arrest these men please and rather bafflingly C- Cunningham's uh, sorry Forrester says why well firstly assault he said oh these are the men who killed um Kerwin and that gun that you've knocked out of Vanek's hand there that uh, is the murder weapon but then he goes on to say, the reason I know this is because I came and found the larger piece of paper, which is the scrap which is found in Kerwin's hand. I found it in Alec Cunningham's dressing gown. And the reason he did this is because, he knew this, is because when Forrester said was about to say, yes, we do have a clue, actually, he didn't want the Cunninghams to know that. He worked it out pretty much immediately what had happened, because he thought if they've taken the scrap, they'll want to get rid of the whole thing, which is incredibly uh, but it condemns them both really so he reads out the whole note and the the, the the scrap read at quarter to twelve then learn what and then maybe and the whole thing put together is if you will only come round at quarter to twelve to the east gate you will learn what will very much surprise you and maybe be of the greatest service and also to Annie Morrison but say nothing to anyone upon this matter so obviously they brought Kerwin out to a certain place and they've killed him um, again Alec Cunningham is quite bullish about this even though he's practically just been found murdering Sherlock Holmes, and he says, you know, how can you possibly say that? How do you know that that's notes from us? And he says, well, basically, it's because um, I deduced straight away, I'm a, he's a handwriting expert, that the, um, the note was written by two men using gold words, the T's are different, and he could tell straight away that one is from an old man, and one from from a younger man, and further, um, which I'm not quite sure how this is the case, he knows that they're related. Um... So the, what's obviously happened is that, um, uh, well, firstly, William's, uh, William Cameron's body had no burns on it or anything like that, so he was shot at point-blank range. Um, there was no um, uh, marks on the ground, even though it was quite muddy and a boggy ditch, um, so he knew he was killed by somebody within the house. Um, and if you said, if you look at the number 12, uh, which, of course, he has to correct, because he wanted to see the Elder Cunningham, how he wrote the word 12, see which one was which... Um, then that condemns them both. It turns out that um, uh, he tells Hater and Watson later on. You don't actually get to see this. That um, it was the elder, it's it's it's, this, it's Cunningham Senior who basically gave up and said yes, you've got us. Blah blah blah. Where Alec was a bit more of a hot headed and you know thought like a devil about the whole thing. Um, but it seems that William followed his um, the Cunninghams uh, when they broke into the Acton estate and uh, looking for a piece of document or something that would help them win their case. And then William decided to blackmail um, both of them, which was not the wisest thing to do. Um, And they used the the burglary as a a way to get rid of him. Um, And that is the adventure of the Rygate Squire. Hello. Before we come to the Rygate Squire and our special guest this week, and he's a very, very special guest as far as I'm concerned. John, we've got some big news. We've got some really really big news about the empty house and before that the final problem what we've done is after some frank negotiations which has been like the un running backwards and forwards we will be running a live facebook and twitter event to cover both stories we're going to cover them both together um because what our guests said they're pretty much a double story it's a, it's a two-hander really and we've got the great burke cools and the great Leslie Klinger together in a live event. We don't know when this is going to be yet because this is an ad hoc podcast. We don't do, you know, every Thursday or anything like that. We'd be exhausted by then. Um, but just to let you know that this is going to happen, John, how exciting is this?
1: Um, I think it's quite exciting, Carl. I, I, you're very calm about it, though, aren't you, Carl?
0: I just, just before we went live, I, I said to John, the, the first 20 minutes is going to be nothing about the final problem or the empty house. It's just me asking Bert about Radio 4 adaptations what was Clive Merrison like you know Michael Williams because they're my favourite Sherlock's. So, uh, you know it, it's not um Rathbone and Bruce me or Benerling Cucumber has he's known on this show uh, uh, uh Martin Freeman it's it's Clive Merrison and, and Michael Williams and then with Andrew Sachs as well so um I think Bert's a little bit scared about the level of fandom I've producing so far but um yeah, so that's going to happen. So if you can just keep looking at what our announcements on Twitter, at Adler2, then uh, we will come up for a date with that. Obviously, we have to say that if something happens and one of them has to produce a script or uh, you know or, or life, you know, and can't do it on that day, we will have to move it. But um, at the moment, we have got the great Burke Cools, the great Les Nicklinger doing the very fulcrum of the canon with the final problem and then the empty house. One where he dies and one where he comes back again, and Arthur Conan Doyle cheats about Sherlock dying. Because suddenly, the cliff in the... I will come back to this later, but the frame back falls. Suddenly, it's, it's sheer, and then it isn't. But we're going to talk about that in depth at the time. Anyway, this week, we are discussing the Rygate Squires. My guest for this show is someone who's very, very nervous, and someone I've known has been a friend of mine since before she knew what a friend was. So <laughs> we go back that, that long. It's Hannah Bradridge. Hannah is a student at Durham University, an English student, and I've been a friend of her family's for, I think, 26 years, something like that. Um, I used to work with her mum. Uh, Hannah is not a Sherlockian. She's not published any books on Sherlock. She's probably not even read all of the Sherlock books, and, uh, but she is an English student. And Five years ago, I'm not going to read the email. She sent me a very long email about the sign of thought and how it's dreadful um 14 years old and um Hannah hello have you changed your mind
2: I yes I think I've definitely definitely mellowed um I think there was a lot of 14 year old I have to study this angst um about the sign of floor sign of four but yeah I think yeah I still agree with some of my points but I think it's
0: just a little bit racist for a start
2: it's quite yeah (laughs) um yeah.
0: And you came up with um, something I've never heard, which is the Cassette scenario. Uh, would, would you like to explain that? Because that's very much a Hannah Bradbridgeism, which I've never um, heard before.
2: So from Les Mis, there's obviously the character of Cassette, who's like a very um, pretty, usually blonde, kind of perfect angel of the house kind of person. And I felt that Mary in the Sherlock uh, books resembled this uh trope that 14 year old me sort of went yes this is this is like this um
0: there's there a little bit of that in the bbc adaptation um which i believe Bert coolt was involved in but i might mention that again Bert's coming on the show you know and um where they make a big thing about when watson says goodbye to mary morston she says yes yes thank you and like almost as a follow out the room to thank her because she's nice and perfect and what have you so i think there's a little bit of that um i did promise that one day i will start my own podcast to get my own revenge on you for doing this for being so rude about the sign of four so your english degree yes. um i assume that there is no sherlock involved no. Just you.
2: no there is no sherlock at the moment
0: and this is why the english education system is failing <laughs> as far as i'm concerned but, um we were talking about it again before the show started there was um the reason that you did sh- um the sign of four and got it so wrong was yes. because um they took this was the Michael Grove syllabus thing where they took take to yes. kill a mockingbird off
2: yes, um they English. Yeah, I I mean, so mine was the year, so they obviously now they've changed the GCSE grading system. So it used to be A star to F or whatever, and now it's nine to ones. And mine was like the first year that they started bringing that in. So um, my maths and English were graded nine to ones and then the rest of them were letters. Um, And then with that came this kind of, I think it was uh, making a more British centred literature system. Mm. Um, which yeah I don't know I, I felt like because obviously the year before they'd studied To Kill a Mockingbird which is a book that like now I realize it is still like a little bit problematic but it's a book that I really enjoyed and really liked um, and then it was replaced with this new thing that I had never read before.
0: And, well it's, it's also probably one of the most important books of the 20th century.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: for the message it condones mm. uh, and um, uh I mean, they're never going to come up with 1984, which, in my opinion, is the greatest novel ever written um, because of what it says. It basically just says, be paranoid about everything around you, in <laughs> and et cetera, whole totalitarian, even when it isn't, et cetera. Um, yeah. When I was about 14, if I would have got an A, but had it been about Winston Smith in 1984, um, I didn't. I went the other way and got a U because I did The Mice and Men instead. Oh, yeah. Which was uh, which is great, and I've read it. I, I think I was in the same situation as you, where uh, the second you've got to read it, it stops being fun.
2: Massively, yeah.
0: yeah. And you know, you can't really get involved in a sort of pleasurable level at this. Which so let's hope in some ways that they've they've keep uh, they've kept um, they're going to keep Sherlock off the syllabus for a while. Although of course <laughs> the, the nation's reading habits would improve massively. Um, <laughs> although probably not after this podcast, because me and John, what me and John tend to do is basically rip the books apart. Uh, uh, and, and, and there is a little bit of that coming up. I've got, I've got some questions, John, about this one already. <laughs> how did you know which Cunningham wrote the note? Um, wrote the twelve thing. We'll come to that. Um, that said, the normal question I ask here is, how did you get into Sherlock? Are you into Sherlock, would you say?
2: Um, I would say yes, but, like, tentatively so, because I... I enjoy a good detective novel um, and I've read like a couple but I wouldn't say that I've read enough to call myself like a true true fan of it like I, I think I kind of hated it when I started reading it then I watched the series like the the modern series the BBC one and was like oh this is very watchable and and entertaining and I liked some of the depth that added to some of the characters um, like Mary for example um, and then with your influence i sort of gradually started reading a bit more but I, I think i'm on like a kind of sherlock trajectory that i'm i'm sort of slowly going up with but yeah
0: i think for for, for the word influence replaced with campaign decade-long <laughs> yeah, decade campaign
2: i i received a book in the post
0: <laughs> you've, just, you've received more than one book in the post in all over the year. <laughs> I'm still. I literally sent someone a book this week. I'm still doing that uh, in, in the lake home. So let's let's move on to the Rygate Squire. Jo- John, can you explain this? The Rygate Squire. The Rygate Squire is the Rygate puzzle.
1: Um, I can't explain the plural. The puzzle is the American one, though, isn't it? It's The Harper and Queen's edition. Yeah. So it, it's the Americans don't seem to like squires and other British terms. Um, Le- Leslie points out in the, in the uh, annotated that uh, they seem to replace the word squire with man. <laughs> They can't campaign against the term squire in the American <laughs> text. So I, that's why I reckon the name's different. Different.
0: I just love the idea of someone sitting around in, in a typesetting room somewhere saying, Squire, anyone? Squire. Just, just put man. <laughs> I'm fine with that. And what I don't understand as well is it's very obvious about squires plural because there's two Cunninghams and there's Acton as well, who's also a squire, I imagine. So are they talking about which squire are they talking about if it's just if only one gets top billing? Now, I do pick holes in the Sherlock plot But it's very, obvious, it's very rarely that I do with the title Before I've started <laughs> uh, And the fact that there's three of them So that really threw me Because when I was doing things like Sporkle quizzes during lockdown And I thought it's not accepting the Rygate Squires What's going on with this? And I was like, what, the Rygate puzzle? What's going on with that? Um, anyway, <laughs> let's get down to it Rather than me just being pedantic Although this whole show is about pedantry um, Did you like it?
2: I did, yes at first, when I first read it, it didn't seem very, um, I don't know if special is the right word, but it seemed like um, a quite a small, I mean, he's emphasised from the beginning that this is a small mystery that's just come after a huge, um, what sounds like a huge um, international puzzle thing that he uh, solved and got great acclaim for. Um, so I think I felt a bit like Why didn't they write about that one? Exactly
0: Um, that, that's my issue with it.
2: But actually the more I read it I feel like there's more in it that I I sort of got from it. It's like on like second and third readings I I definitely warmed to it a lot
0: more. It it Uh, seems to me like there is a play about Winston Churchill losing his cat on a Thursday afternoon after the second world war when no one knows about the second world war.
2: That's yeah, I think that's a really good <laughs> analogy <laughs> for it.
0: Because <laughs> the man he's chasing is basically Moriarty, isn't he? Surely. He's basically the equivalent he's Europe's top swindler, Watson calls him. Yeah. And he's got five different police forces around Europe trying to track him down. He's working 15 hours a day. And on this one, he knocks a bowl of oranges over. And I and I like this story. I would say this story is a par. I don't think it's particularly brilliant. I don't think it's bad at all. It's nice, and there's things I really, really like about it, um, which which I'll come to, which is which is Alec Cunningham's greeting to Sherlock, which I laughed at <laughs> loudly last night. Um, talk about please, please point at me as the guilty man. Um, I think with the Rygate Squires, I think it's interesting for several reasons. One is um, Holmes is fallible, and he's fallible all the way through it. But but he's 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 physically, if anything, he's physically, you know, a fallible man. He's exhausted. Do you yeah. think that makes a difference, the sort of uh, from the dramatic point of view? I'm using your um, English degree, the <laughs> graduate status here. Yeah,
2: um, yeah, I think it does because when I read it and I was like, okay, why don't they talk about the big, the big mystery? Then I was like, well, okay, there must be something in this then that makes it worth telling over that one. Um, and I think it was really interesting to see Holmes as like more fallible. I, he was definitely a lot more humanized. I felt yeah. because of it. Um, but then at the same time I think it was also interesting how um, his cure is to just keep going rather than rest like throughout the whole thing Watson's like you need to you need to rest you need to stop but actually that was the worst thing for him and by the end he's like I feel really invigorated like I feel great Um, and I yeah I found that really interesting I thought it Revealed a lot about his character that maybe what well, I hadn't been really seen before in another story. Well, he,
0: well he's an addict as well, which is, yeah. which is a huge part of it. As in, you know, how, how do you? It's it's basically it's a work version of *Hair of the Dog*, isn't it? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. How do I feel better? I get drinking again. That's what I do, and he, it yeah. looks like he's doing it. I like that. There's a lovely little scene in this where he says, um, where Inspector Forrester comes through the door, and and tells like you know William Carwin's been murdered, and he says. He just, like, smiles at Watson and says, I think the fates are against you, Watson. As in, you fact, like, you had it. I mean, they're bringing murders to my front door.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, they weren't going to keep him away from that, I think.
0: <laughs> um, but, he, but, it, but it's also interesting that he doesn't try. The first time they, they bring up the uh, the Acton burglary, but, you know, the, the Pope's Homer and the Bowl of Twine and what have you, he doesn't seem that bothered by that he's a oh, local affair petty thing which obviously he's famed for when you think oh maybe he's going to leap at that because you know there's a crime next door and what yeah. have you but uh, uh I think that's a really really interesting way that Conan Dawes done that and I like the fact that he's weak because um there's if I could just jump into Doctor Who world here for a second I don't mean your modern day nonsense oh. I mean the <laughs> uh um whereas when the doctors regenerated the first story back he's weak because his head's all over the place and they make really interesting stories because he doesn't solve it in the first 10 seconds because he's well for a start he's literally a new man or woman these days but um i I think it's an interesting start from sort of acknowledging just how important watson is as well as anything so um we are going to come to we do. have There's a part of the show we we have called Watson Watch. We will come to that because I think this is a really interesting Watson story. Yeah. Um, what did you think of Colonel Hater?
3: Um,
2: he's the.
0: He's Watson's mate. Who they stay with.
2: Oh yeah. Um, I, I honestly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I I could. He just seemed like a...
0: Do you, do you know what they could have done? They could have just called him man. A man.
2: Because uh, you said that, and I was like, is he the one that... There <laughs> didn't seem anything about him. Don't make me panic like that, please. I, oh. <laughs> I read what? it like three times. I was like, this guy?
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> in the BBC Radio 4 version, um, they make Acton Watson's mate. And it's Acton who's been burgled. And they make it more dramatic that way.
3: Right, Um, yeah.
0: Just because, um, John, can you look to see who um, adapted the BBC Radio 4 version of Rygate Squires? It may not be him, but it might be. It might be Patrick Raines, I think. Um, But um, he, they they get more drama because he's genuinely appalled that someone's broken into his house and stolen a ball of twine and what what have you. Yeah.
3: Um,
0: This makes me think in some way. It's interesting to talk about Mary Morstan, but I think he doesn't give everyone colour yeah. Do you think that might be just because there's so much colour in the main character?
2: Possibly. I feel like I guess in comparison to Holmes, everyone else seems kind of two dimensional and lackluster, I suppose, because he's so intelligent and so um charismatic. But then I guess like like you said that the
0: Sorry, John's got his hand up. That's why John's got impor- <laughs> yeah,
1: John, I... John, John Bears <laughs> um, in it, it, it's Robert Forrest. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, who? Uh, yeah, he seems to have done some of the case book ones. Um, oh, he also did the BBC Radio Four uh, John Le Carre series. Okay,
0: it's very good because I think it really does add to it. That in it's Acton's house to are staying in because yeah. they bring they bring in Acton at the end. I don't know if you know this, Hannah, and he's, he's basically Colonel kind of Hater. All he does is say he said he literally says to an "Excellent," twice. That's his reply. Even yeah. even says excellent set acting again.
3: Yes,
2: yeah. <laughs> I I definitely did feel that because yeah I, I mean it did like I guess I like the like minute char- I like minute character descriptions I like throwaway details that aren't important um and I think I did feel that that was a little bit missing from this one
3: yeah
0: um, yeah you're going to love the cardboard box then if you read that. Oh we 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 um we, we invited our friends from uh, uh, uh fr- from another podcast about that, the however improbable podcast, where basically they take so much time with the male murderer that they ignore the two women he kills. <laughs> yeah, which is wow, like he gets a whole epilogue to himself, and we're supposed to feel sorry for him because he's caved in this poor woman's skull without with an oar <laughs> on the river Mersey. Um, so I I think I, I don't know if this is because of a short story thing but he can't sort of give everyone sort of you know um massive billing and, and and what have you but I just thought colonel hater is exactly the same as I mean John you probably agree with this. how many colonel haters are there in the entire canon just men man a man said this.
1: Yeah, well, I think the nice thing is he is actually a nice colonel for once because normally the colonels are...
0: Yeah, they're not all all, all murderers, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, all all the other colonels are either murderers or fiends and stuff like that. So, this, you know, he's a nice colonel. Maybe that's why Cullendall put him in. Maybe he had some complaints or something and uh, oh, you're always portraying colonels as being horrible in your stories. So, maybe oh, I'd better put a nice colonel in, perhaps.
0: Put a nice colonel then who just basically... Yeah, who who just says... Well, I don't know what he is. He's colonel exposition. That's his job in this. Yeah. That's his entire role. <laughs> so what's going on then, Colonel? Well, the following has happened. These two <laughs> we've never met. Um, so, so we're going to move along a bit. So Forrester comes along and says, great news, everyone. There's been a murder, which is pretty much what that's his entire role in this. <laughs> this is fantastic. And then I think it really, really picks up. I mean, the bit where I'm, I'm just going to come through because it's just my favourite bit. John, can you prepare the Alec? Cunningham's first words to Holmes because they are, they are just extraordinary. So, in the story then, Hannah, um, there's been a murder at the house, uh, there's been a burglary, um, and um, Sherlock Holmes, who's operating at, what, 70%? If you were the murderer here, what would you do if you were Alec Cunningham?
2: Honestly, I would probably leave because I feel like they did more damage by being there.
3: Yeah,
2: absolutely! <laughs> like, if they... I mean I don't know I guess cuz Holmes already saw holes in their story but they were doing so much damage just by existing in the same environment like yeah. getting them to write the word 12 so that he could match the letters like if yeah. they'd have just stayed away for a bit like they they you know or they would have been they might have been all right it's it's just I found that scene quite funny
0: um, I, think it, I think it's fantastic. I love it so much. It's
2: just so stupid. Like, why? What did they? What did they want? I <laughs> What did they want to achieve by that?
0: I it, It's it's just. Um. Uh. John's got it. It's, 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 John's got the quote. But I have not. Just, oh, go on, This this is just amazing. I I literally. I mean, I've read this dozens of times, but it makes me laugh every single time. So, yeah. bearing in mind, I mean, if people haven't read the story. Alex, Alec and his father are guilty and they have killed William Kerwin. The greatest detective in the history of detection has come to their house and they have to cow him somehow by saying the following.
1: Shall shall I read the whole introduction? Because I think his manner as well is very. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, as he spoke, two men came down the garden path from round the angle of the house. The one was an elderly man with a strong, deep-lined, heavy-eyed face. The other, a dashing young fellow, whose bright, smiling expression and showy dress were in strange contrast with the business which had brought us there. Still at it then, said he to Holmes. I thought you Londoners were never at fault. You don't seem to be so very quick after all. Oh nothing suspicious or antagonistic there hello
0: mr holmes you're basically an idiot by the way <laughs> i'm the murderer i mean come on
2: sounds like a challenge <laughs> no, exactly
0: yeah and and uh, um, i think he's slightly off with forrester as well um we are going to come to forrester but i think the, the highlight of this story for me is not the bowl and the water carafe and, and the oranges. I think it is, the, it, it is the fit where Forrester's about to say, by the way, we've got this massive clue, um, which you definitely want to tell someone who was in the house when the murder was committed. Um, I think that's my favourite bit. Did you enjoy that bit? I Yeah.
2: Yeah. I Because at first I was like, oh, it's a portrayal of the police that's actually quite okay you know like you yeah. hate them you know they're not calling him names they're not being outwardly annoying um but then he did that and i was like i oh, don't know it's <laughs> they're still like they, they're nice but they're still a bit useless um
0: and hope likes him makes it yeah. quite clear he likes Forster because paul Lestrade and the other stories gets a hell of a time of it and he yeah. likes Lestrade. he does yeah. like because calls him my dear fellow and all that what have mm. you but um this is this is the, this is the uh, one of the few stories i think it was one in which story, was stereo lodge where he actually quite likes the policeman involved um the problem i've got with the fit scene is watson more than anything else who is clearly given that uh, he's an army doctor he's, he's a practicing doctor and um we are going to come to watson watch as i well do it now actually um and yet he doesn't see through the rolling of the eyes and the collapse and what have you the fact he staggers away and to change the conversation and it's also quite risky i think as well because what i think I'm, are you okay uh, mr holmes yes i'm fine thank you i do apologize um right anyway we've got this note <laughs> and that's what's the whole ball game gone you know and, yeah. then, and then the cunningham's destroy the big piece of paper where it's from and then and then it's, it's it's game over um i think it is an interesting watson story this one because leslie says this in the annotated um, homes as well there is a genuine it's in sorry the wikipedia as well there's a genuine partnership i think between Holmes and watson in this one
3: yeah
0: they, they genuinely get on as in, you know there's a great deal of affection watson says you he, he arrives at uh, the hotel in leon um within 24 hours of him being ill and they do act like a team rather than just Watson saying, I don't know what's going on here. Oh, by the way, you've explained it. Oh, that's so, so simple. My God, you're great. End of story. I think there is a general team here. And when he knocks over the bowl of oranges, I love the fact that Watson says straight away, he plays along with it. Yeah. No why, but he just thinks, okay, let's do with that. What well, do, do you have a view on Watson in general? I'm, I'm using your status as a non-Sherlock. <laughs> um, yeah, I
2: mean, in general... Um... I think I so I sort of started to see him a bit as of like an everyman uh, in a kind of like he is very human. I feel like he's or in, in the way he's presented, he's almost um, clouded by his emotions uh, in one sense. Um, I do feel a bit sorry for him as well, because well I guess like everyone does, because he is clearly an intelligent man, yeah,
1: he's but it's
2: completely overshadowed by Holmes. Um, and I also in this one particularly I felt like his like loyalty and compassion is very clearly established but I felt like he didn't feature very prominently in it in that sense because he Holmes didn't actually confide in him which I found nice. quite interesting maybe there wasn't a chance but I mean it wouldn't have been lack of trust I guess but that yeah, that hasn't been
0: twice doesn't it because the fits and the... Yeah, the, the, the you know the the carafe and what have you. He, he cheat, deliberately cheats Watson twice for a good reason. But well, this yeah. is one of the few stories I think where Watson just goes along with it straight away. Yes. There's a bigger picture here,
3: yeah,
0: uh, which I think shows a bit of depth between the two of them at that point. Where there's always a little bit sort of, you know, my dear fellow, I don't, you know, and what have you. I don't he doesn't really trust him as much, or he's yeah. confused by what he's just done, or or something like that. But he's um. There's a there's a great warmth I think to this story, obviously because he's. I love the fact that in Leon, Holmes, who doesn't rely on anyone in the world, he just relies on his own mental strength, as you know, his acuity that way. And, and But he needs Watson. He needs Watson yes. at that point. And I think that's a lovely start to the story as well. Sorry, we are jumping around all over the place there. So I think this is the most interesting Watson watch we've done because most of the ones we've done recently, Watson I was well, we've just done the Musgrave ritual with Janice Wilson and this Watson watches basically Watson sits in chair, Watson gets spoke to.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's the entire story. Yeah. Um I think so when um again I'm asking you in your your, your role as not non-pedant when it comes to Sherlock. Yes. <laughs> um are you sort of do you see Watson as the old duffer that he was in the sort of black and white tales with Basil Rathbone. I'm not saying that you've ever seen any of those, but he's very, i say my dear fellow, and he's, he's basically a bit thick. Um, uh, whereas the Martin Freeman Watson is a lot more sort of, he will fight back, he's sarcastic, and but he's more action-based Watson. But yeah, I don't think he's either, really. No, I was about story.
2: to say, I think he's like kind of in the middle of them both, because I feel like he doesn't have the angst to be like, sarcastic and as witty maybe as um the like modern bbc version but i also don't think that he's stupid because we see the story through his eyes and he he thinks very eloquently if that makes sense yeah like the way that he thinks you can tell this is clearly an intelligent person with a great capacity for different emotions um so yeah I, i think it is I think it is a mixture. Um, I think it's interesting how um, Holmes still needs him um, in that way because um, I, I feel like this may be slightly stolen from one of the um, one of the modern modern series. But I think it is true that Holmes solves the mystery, but it takes Watson to actually save Holmes from being killed by the criminals.
0: Um, yeah, th- th- this in, in the original when when Mycroft Holmes comes into it in the Greek Interpreter. He says famously about his brother that, you know, he's twice as intelligent as I am, but if he could solve murders without leaving the living room, he'd be the greatest detective in the world. (laughs) He'd bother leaving the house to do it all. And I think there's a little bit of Sherlock in that too, as well. He just, Mm. you know, he needs a leg man. He basically needs someone to run around and get his gun out and get shot occasionally in that, you know, that sort of thing as well. So it's it's an interesting sort of um, combination between the two. Um, It's also interesting that we have to think about when. These stories came out, they were published in serial format, so they are there primarily. And this is the problem with this podcast, to be honest. Although, keep tuning in. Um <laughs> that it is done as an adventure story, it's not done for analysis. Yeah, this is like you know, I'm not saying they're throwaway stories, but they are there to entertain as as Paul Edwards pointed out. It is the adventure of not you know, let's tear holes holes in this sort of thing as well. And I think it's really interesting how. He, Watson, I think, is beginning to grow up a bit more at this point, and he's getting more involved, and he's um, sort of utilising the fact that Holmes loves him. I mean, and that's never said. Holmes loves Watson, absolutely adores him. He'll do anything for him, apart from telling that he thinks he's great. Yeah that he just knows that. So, so that's my Watson watch for a bit. And we, I did a bit of an extra Watson watch just because it was, he, he hasn't done anything for three stories. <laughs>
3: so
0: I thought we would bring on. But I want to get round to talking about probably the most extraordinary element of this entire story, which is they knock over the bowl of oranges, which so Holmes nips off, goes to the dressing room, and he's absolutely right. He hasn't thrown away the note because he does know that's a fragment miss and that could, you know... Um, that, you know, that, that could basically you know, make out that, that he's guilty, which he clearly is. I'm trying to think of the word there, and it's not coming to me. Um, and what do the Cunninghams do while there is a police inspector in the room and Dr. John H. Watson, who famously is armed at all times? <laughs> What's the first thing you do? You throw Sherlock Holmes to the floor and throttle him. And what I like about this, more than anything else, apart from the audacity of it, is... He's 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 struggling. Sherlock Holmes is, is being killed there. Like he, said, he even says that his, his voice is getting weaker. Do you yeah. think that's a, bit of a strange? Well, again, I'm just thinking about about maybe it's because they think they're omnipotent. You know, they they they're, they're so clever. You know, they want to get this over this law suit done on, on Acton, and now he, he wants to kill the greatest detective in the world in front of a man with a gun and the police inspector. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think um, afterwards, after when they discuss um, the characters of the two Cunninghams, the son, um, I think it's Alec, the son, um, they explain that he's very hot-headed and rash. Um, and I think it is shown here, but I don't know. It's still a really foolish, like even in Panic! would you would you do that i
0: well, my question to you hannah is a very simple one what would they do next
2: listen all they all they could do logically all they could do if so say they had succeeded and actually killed Holmes. all they could have done was run and they could have done that in the first place
3: where they and could have been there.
2: start without murder so it's like i don't know what I guess maybe I think the only the only redeeming factor is that Holmes was the only one who knew, but they didn't know that they didn't know that he hadn't told Watson or or anyone else. Like, what was the
3: point?
0: <laughs> and I, I love the fact that the old man who doesn't even get a name, so he is Man Cunningham, <laughs> um, although he does have some personality, um, is he? He's he's involved. He's like he's he's wrenching. He's you know he's trying to get the piece of paper out of his hand as well. Um, but then that's not the end of it because he says, arrest these men, and Forrester says, for what? Yeah. Literally hands on his throat, at this point.
3: Oh.
0: I'm just asking you to explain this, Hannah, in, you know, brand new podcast. <laughs> People you don't see that often, and now we're asking you to explain uh, an 1893, John, I think it's 1893, this one, um, story. It's just, I read that and thought, A, I don't know Firstly, I don't know what the big picture is if they kill homers. What are they going to do, say it wasn't us? Um, And I also don't quite understand why Alex got a gun, but he chooses to choke him.
2: Well, I guess they would have heard it from the room next door if he didn't. Yeah, anyway. (laughs) That's true, that's true. I mean, maybe they thought he wouldn't be able to... They could have been more creative. I mean, I don't want to sound like a complete psychopath, but of all the things they could have done... they. They could have done something that was more efficient and quieter, I guess. I don't know. Maybe they just panicked.
1: Um.
0: You, you say you don't want to sound like a psychopath. <laughs> sorry,
1: I'm sorry. I've I'm known you, you for that. a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> Who is Alec pulling the gun at on this scene anyway? It well, sounds like it's he is. Pulling it on. It, it, it's, he's pulling, pulling it on um, on, uh, on, um the inspector but the look of it. Yeah,
0: oh. I think I think he is. And he still says, well, what do you want to arrest him for? <laughs> well, the fact that he's got a gun on you and you're an inspector, that that might have something to do with it. Yeah. Um It's just, um, and then just, to, do you know what? I love this story. Now I'm getting sort of slightly agitated about it. And then, um, they say, oh, you know, what are you what are you arrested for? And Home says, just look at his face. That's that's not evidence.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then he pulls out a gun, and it's like all
0: right there we go <laughs> can you do something to make yourself look a bit more guilty
2: um. there we
0: go lovely thanks very much for that now just hand over the gun like a good fellow and <laughs> i'll explain all about the uh about the handwriting we haven't even mentioned the handwriting all guns yeah. um uh and th- so, so they're arrested and they go back and have uh, they go and spit him and watson go back to see man which is now hater's name i think kind of hater is now just called Man. Man. me in this story they go and talk to man they get they bring um acton along man too <laughs>
3: um
0: and they go through the the handwriting bit which is now i don't know if you've heard one of our previous episodes hannah but um john was delighted when he covered a story called the case of identity we bring it up in every story um where the the the, the, the method of the crime is a typewriter so basically, a man, uh, uh, James Winderbank, has um, dressed up in disguise to basically sort of pay court to his own daughter. So she wrote, promised that um, she won't marry anyone, and then he disappears. But Holmes gets him because his typewriter does something quite unusual with the S, and he realises it's him. And then right. he attacks him with a hunting crop. So it's... it's
1: um, <laughs> That is actually based on genuine science, though. Yes. A type, each typewriter, after it's been used for a while, is unique. Yes.
0: I, I can I can understand that and I understand the, the entire premise of the um uh, 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 uh the handwriting and I've got some issues with the deduction from it and I could be completely wrong on this in fact what, the graphology is a load of nonsense but <laughs> we that is one um I should explain also Hannah that um our host for this podcast is Rippercast, so we're, we're jack the ripper people as you know Yes. and um the, the, the letters that were sent in from the, the famous "Dear Boss" letter um, was written by a very, very good hand from a man who is basically a psychopath. So it's clearly not genuine. Um, what is interesting, it says in the annotated version, is that the um, says, you know, there, there, there are for, for a man who's only operating at seventy percent. By the way, he's pretty good on this. He said there are twenty-three incidents, incidents which show me that this was written by two men of the same age. Well, I, I understand that, you know, one hand one's someone's handwriting could be a bit shakier than the other which shows age but, but have you any idea what he's doing with the family thing see i
2: i my handwriting is really similar to my dad's um okay. and i so i don't agree like I, i'm like mm, this can't be you know a thing you know i because you know but then i was looking at my some of my notes the other day i was like why has my dad been writing in my book and i was like it was me um so maybe Sherlock could solve a crime involving me um, and my family, um, but I
0: the coachman.
2: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. <laughs> but no, I mean, I think that's a. I think it's difficult to tell. Maybe, maybe you can. I don't. I don't know. I. I I'm under. I mean, it can't be a thing.
0: Like? I, th- I think what it was. Um, again, this is explained in the annotator. If this this was this was a big thing in Victorian England, that handwriting could be determined to you know to, to show personality. Yes. Uh, in fact, have I got this right, John? The, the Dear Boss letter. Someone has has analysed it and said, "Oh, it's someone who's um, looking for publicity. They're a bit of an egomaniac." You think they wrote a letters to the police saying
1: I kill these people? I think the Dear Boss letter has had so many. Contradicting analysis done by different graphologists. I think you know they've said so many stuff about it. It's don't yeah, don't we started?
0: <laughs> and it was it was highly probably written by a journalist anyway because the handwriting's beautiful. That, that's that's my biggest problem. With the Zeebos. With I mean, I'd write to like, like to write like that, and I haven't killed anyone. <laughs> um, so. You know, well, well done for keeping an even any hand on that. But I, I think this is an interesting story because it's the first. I don't think he, there are a lot of snatched notes in the Sherlock Holmes canon. I'm thinking of the problem with Thorbridge, John. There's one in that, isn't there, where the, the governess meets the woman who, um, Neil, what's-his-name's wife. Yeah. Uh, it, that, that involves a snatch note as well. Notes are big things. Uh, and um, Crooked Man. Yeah, there's
1: one in the Crooked Man, which is next, I think, isn't it? Um yeah, and the handwriting's identical in the copies apparently. So Yes, I saw that, yeah. <laughs> See,
0: so they're all they're all shooting coachmen. That's what they're all doing out there. They're loving it. So just it's just to bring things to a close, then. Um you like the Rygate Squires. Yes. Has it convinced you that I am right and 14-year-old you was wrong, and that Sherlock's better than Harry Potter? Yeah really
2: I honestly I know this is going to be a bit of a shock I've I've sort of Harry Potter is still really good I definitely enjoy Harry Potter more but I've sort of gone off it a little bit I'm not as crazy about it as I used to be but there's definitely
0: 14 for a start yeah I'm not 14 anymore. it
2: was (laughs) um but I think there's definitely a lot more in it than I at first thought when I started reading it I wouldn't say that I'm as enthusiastic about it as I was about Harry Potter don't know if I could be about anything um, but um, yeah no you've, you've done your job well,
0: well one, one, uh, yeah again the 20-year campaign you, um, Yeah, maybe <laughs> one day you'll be hosting your own Harry Potter podcast <laughs> uh, I'd um,
2: like you as a guest
0: um, my my <laughs> girlfriend's son is um, is slowly trying to get me into the Lord of the Rings at the moment
3: you're
0: Well, uh, in that's pretty much what he said. Then he threw some four-letter words at me for not knowing anything about it. With would love, I should say. Can He's I join
2: this campaign? By...
0: Uh, <laughs> I'm not you as well. And it's really... I'm sorry, we've gone off Sherlock for a minute. And it's really funny because I was talking... with. There's a pub literally opposite my house, and I was in there uh, uh, with with, uh, with Dylan, and um, the barman came over and said, oh, you've got an interesting tattoo on your arm. I live, by the way, in the most tattooed city in the country, I have <laughs> And and. Um, and guess what? Huge quote from Lord of the Rings on his arm. So, like I, you being pressured without you really knowing it to be into Sherlock Holmes, uh, once I worked out that you're, you're a reader, uh, I um, the same thing is happening to me with bloody Tolkien. I'm going to get tons of abuse for saying that now,
1: aren't
2: I? So, it's so good. I don't understand how you've avoided it. On,
1: I'm really, I'm very, very controversial here. Go on, I think Tolkien's a terrible writer. (laughs) I will Um, throw hands. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Away (laughs) you go.
0: (laughs) We've lost all our listeners now. They don't like being told that, I've discovered. I mean, I I could be completely wrong. I really could be completely wrong about the whole thing, but uh, I don't need to know quite everything about The Shire. Can we just get on with the story? I'm at that level so far.
2: That is true. That is true. There's a funny bit where there's like... um, okay, this is going to sound really more than horrible, but there's a funny bit where um, one of the characters dies and they're being chased by some people and they're like, wait, we must sing songs for their funeral. But it's like, no, you're you're being chased, go. But then there's pages and pages of song.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he spends 20 pages with songs and describing the colour of Tom Bombadil's trousers and stuff like that. And then, you know, you know and then there was a battle and that's it it just moves on it's like yeah i can't stand hawkins writing (laughs) (laughs) we really have we
0: really have gone past um sherlock here but can i talk about my my favorite line ever from the great dan brown's da vinci code
2: oh god
0: (laughs) um well my favorite line in it is said the famous man That's still my (laughs) favourite man in any book I've ever read. Uh, And actually ties in with Colonel Hater. It could have been Colonel Hater actually. Um, And there is a bit where someone pulls a gun on him and the woman, who's never forgotten. And in the next page, they're just chatting with the man who had the gun. And the gun's gone, and the gun is never mentioned again. There's that. And the bit where they go to England and... They try, they're trying to get into some sort of library or other. I can't remember the whole thing now. And this woman vehemently says, you can't go here. It's Saturday. You can't. We're not open. And then the next page, says, welcome, my friends. <laughs> what?
1: Well, oh. My favourite bit of any Dan Brown novel is when at about, I think, 50 pages in, he has a flashback to a university lecture where he gives he asks some very condescending questions of his students that give a lot of exposition to the current mystery. Ah, kind of exposition. Every (laughs) single Dan Brown book has the exact same sequence in it, where there's a flashback to a university lecture where it explains, you know, the Holy Grail, um, you know, the the Illuminati, uh, the Freemasons or whatever, at about the same point in the book as well, every time.
0: It's like this is like uh, Rich Hall's um, commentary on um, every Tom Cruise film being the same. So, for example, Days of Thunder, he is a uh, he's a, 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 a motor, know, like, a, oh, like a Formula One type rider. He's a particularly good one. But one day uh, he meets a woman and she shows him that maybe there's nothing, everything to be done to learn by being a good um, boxcar um, rider. And then he did Cocktail, where he's a bartender, pretty good bartender. But then he meets a woman who shows him that bartending is not the greatest thing in every world in, in the world. Then in Top Gun, he's an airplane fighter, he's a, he's a fighter pilot, pretty good fighter pilot. But then he meets a woman who convinces him that being literally it's every single one. It's exactly uh, the same plot. A, a few
1: good men has got kind of the opposite plot, where he's he's a lawyer, but he's a mediocre lawyer. And then he meets a woman who convinces him to be a really good lawyer. Yes, yes, that is yeah. It does turn the form around a tad in a, a, few, a few. He's weeks. messing with the form there because he's yeah. more famous. I I've got a very important question about the the the, the right great, great squires. He's oh, bring I'm it back on, on topic. Well yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who is Annie Morrison? Now then, now then.
2: Cool, I because when you sent through the um some of the the discussion points, I was like, did I did I miss something? <laughs> And I was going through you have no idea how panicked I was going through it going can I can I read <laughs> like it's...
0: I suggested it I, I said something to Hannah before the show John saying um maybe um Annie, Annie should have some sort of fan fiction because she gets sod all in this story who, who is she? It's, it's Annie Morrison watch <laughs>
1: It, it is it is almost demanding um, Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss to kind of expand her story and fix the canon in yeah. some, isn't it? The, the way they the way they love to do when, uh, they, isn't,
0: in the, isn't the one in *Hand of Basketball* as well? As Laura Lyons is mentioned and then only never never mentioned again. I think I'm, I'm think I'm, I might have got that from a BBC adaptation.
1: Laura Lyons is isn't she expanded on quite a bit? Or am I thinking of the she, in, in the adaptation? She's expanded on quite a bit.
0: Oh, I don't know. I don't know if one know, but I know there's some. Maybe it's not Laura Lyons, but he, but he does this every now and then. He just drops a, he just drops it in, and um, uh, again in the BBC Radio Four series, Watson says, "Poor Annie, just put away like a small detail," which I think is a really <laughs> nice way of saying, "Look, we know, we know. God knows what Annie, how Annie Morrison's been involved in this." I, I think there's an Annie Morrison film to be had. <laughs> about how the death of Kerwin really affected her in a sort of Tom Cruise type way and then she realised it.
1: I think there's a spin-off somewhere, isn't there?
0: Like the Sarah Jane adventures. Yeah. <laughs> and Annie Morrison
2: adventures. Yeah, adventures of Annie Morrison. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and how the death of one coachman. Um, I, like, I like the fact, by the way, I don't know why this is such a strange detail, but bearing in mind that Colonel Hater is now just a man. Um, that William Kerwin's mum gets a few paragraphs.
3: Yes, (laughs) I.
0: She's basically an imbecile. Is pretty much what he's trying to say. She's 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 too old. Oh, she's too shocked. His son's just been shot, but um, but she gets sort of more. She comes out of this with more information than Annie does, and Annie Annie's involved in the actual note. Yeah. And and Holmes isn't bothered about this at all. He doesn't want to look into why Annie Morrison Annie Morrison could have been slaying people all over the place
2: do you think it's a do you think it's a gender thing i, I don't
0: want
2: to I, I mean well, i don't know yeah, but... it's
0: possibly yeah i'm really interested in gender in sherlock because i like the fact that he is clearly very very misogynistic <laughs> but, but but in a lovely way <laughs> And it's a really really strange thing the way he does this i, I, I do want to talk to um, um uh that however improbable podcast about this at some point about you know how he how we marry this this entire misogyny he's got, but he's but he's, he says it, and again in the BBC version that he's um, the radio version that he considers himself a chivalrous opponent, yeah, but you are an opponent of an entire
1: half yeah. species. <laughs> but he's quite. But he's he's rude to men, I think, than he is to women. He's rude to everyone. I do quite <laughs> like the BBC Sherlock, the modern. Well, I say the modern one when they did the the What If episode set in eighteen ninety five and um you know Watson is just so misogynistic in, in it but Holmes isn't it, it's almost as if it's yeah
0: yeah they turned it around yeah
2: to be fair there was an interesting line in this one which um I underlined which was I he's I think he said something like I never have any prejudices or something like that which apart, I
0: apart from all of them
2: yeah I was kind of like mm, <laughs> interesting I I I don't know. I, I mean, I definitely see him as a less influenced. Actually, I don't know. Is he less influenced by society than Watson? I don't know. I think maybe he has a more objective view on things than Watson does. But, but he's
0: bohemian, isn't he? So he rejects society as a whole. Mm. So he would, He sees, again, bearing in mind, you know, the Victorian age, he's got no problem with sleeping for three days, and um, walking around in a dressing gown all the time, just smoking. <laughs> So it's like that. And um, we, have, we are doing that. That. I'm
1: wearing a dressing gown
0: now. i just <laughs> Yes, but you, you haven't solved them murder, oh maybe you have, I don't know. No, I uh, not today. You're, you're too busy writing Annie Morrison the sequel.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Best point. Um we should probably call it a day there, because we've been well over an hour. Um Hannah, would you like to come on again and just uh, once you've read some more stories, the campaign yeah. continues. Yeah. Um, find a story that you like or or dislike. Um, and we're going to we'll invite you back on again. We really, really want you to read um, uh, The Mazarin Stone because okay. it's comfortably the worst story you'll ever read in the entire canon. I look forward and, uh, to it. And we're going to have, I keep saying this all the time, it's on every single show, but normally we have like one or two guests on. We're thinking of doing a panel discussion on The Mazaran Stone because it's horrible. It's so bad.
3: Really?
0: Uh, and we also might do something on The Three Gables because. Uh, if anyone on Twitter would like to suggest a guest for this, because uh, the Three Gables is incredibly racist. I mean, massively so. Um, more so than the sign of four, I think. Um, yep. So we're going to be looking for that. But more importantly, don't forget that we are bringing on Bert Cools, who I've not mentioned for 40 minutes, and therefore I feel duty bound to <laughs> again. My friend Bert. Well, I hope that's going to listen to this and think, no, I'm done on that show now. And <laughs> so um, We will be advertising that more um, through the website and through the Facebook page um, as, as, as early as we can. But in the meantime, Hannah, thank you very much for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. Go, go and do some work. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really weird doing a show with Hannah. This is really, really strange. And thanks for listening to the show. Thank you. I would like to thank our hosts at RipperCast, as well as producers Jonathan Mengus and John Rees. A special thank you, too, to Andrew Firth, who created both the graphics and the theme music. You can contact us on Twitter at AdlerToAmberly. Thank you for listening.